Welcome to Stories from A to Z with Mona P. I'm your host, Mona Pasanoff. If you are a new listener, you can learn more about me and my process of starting this podcast by listening to episode one. I invite you to subscribe to Stories from A to Z with Mona P on SoundCloud or any podcast platform. Subscribing is free. By subscribing, you will always have quick access to further episodes. Continuing with the Upper Peninsula theme, Jerry Grossman agreed to an interview. For those of us lucky enough to know him, he is one of the most knowledgeable people about all things forest, trees, and lumber. Grossman Forestry Company oversees the Hiawatha Sportsman's Club Forests and Woods, which, as you'll hear, was already being managed by the company when he took it over. Those of us fortunate to attend a trail hike with him always come away learning something new about tree growth and the forests we love and appreciate here at Hiawatha. On the A to Z with Mona P Facebook page, there are photos of Jerry, his lab TAM, examples of clear-cut land and blowdown on HSC property. I invite you to visit Jerry's website for further links to other wildlife-related topics. Good morning, Jerry. I'm so glad that you're here with me. Actually, I'm here with you in your office. Good morning. Good morning, Mona. Nice to have you. Thank you. So we're going to talk a little bit about your background and forestry and what brought you to Newberry. And let's just start with that. How did you wind up here? Sure, Mona. So I originally grew up in the Chicago area. went to high school in southwest Michigan and then went to University of Michigan to School of Natural Resources. They had a forestry program there, so I got a bachelor's in forestry and worked all over the United States. The time I graduated, jobs were really difficult to come by, so I ended up going back to school and got a master's degree in forestry from Michigan State, so I'm a conflicted person. <laughs> uh, go blue, go white, right? Part of that, I got the master's in forestry and MBA in marketing from uh, Michigan State. That's quite the mix, yeah. marketing and forestry. Well, you know, running a business has a lot to do with um, marketing and business skills. So, But I ended up coming to Newberry because there was a job opportunity. I was working in East Lansing for the Forest Service doing uh, forestry research in the university setting. And my um, girlfriend at the time, now my wife, had a work uh, job with the Michigan DNR. She's a forester in Stevenson, which is South Escanaba. It was about a five-hour drive to see each other, so I had the opportunity to come to Newberry with an option to purchase the business I own now, and she uh, transferred to Nobinway uh, for the DNR, and that's where we've been for 30 years now. Can we just back up a second? What got you into wanting... Oh, to be a forester? Yes. Sure, just being outside. Right, you know, camping. I worked, uh, was a Boy Scout, worked for the Boy Scouts at the Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico. Uh, some of your audience might be familiar with that facility. It just seemed like a way to, you know, have a career that had a passion for being outside. I wanted to go into forestry when I was younger, but life had other plans for me. 
I met you originally through the Hiawatha Sportsman's Club. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to the club? As your audience knows, Hiawatha Club is 35,000 acres located basically between Newberry and Lake Michigan. Uh, it's a wonderful, diverse forest. And that's what we do. We manage forests. So as a forester, uh, our company, we manage over 375,000 acres, um, mostly in the eastern upper peninsula. And of course, Hiawatha Sportsman's Club is, is included in, the, in that area. So we've been the, uh, well, the, the company I purchased had been the club forester prior to us. So starting in, I believe, 1976, and then I started in 1990. So we've had a very long relationship managing the forest resources. And when you say managing the forest resources, what does that actually mean? Right, it's it's a lot more than what a lot of folks might think. But one of the analogies we use is if you had, if you owned a little piece of farm, agricultural farmland and were not a farmer, you would hire a farm manager. Forest owners do the same thing, they hire foresters, so we do just a whole variety of activities, a lot of inventory work, because if you don't know what you have, you don't know what your options are. Uh, we combine the soil resources, the past management, the landowner objectives, the forest ecology prescriptions and management plans, and then help with the implementation. You mentioned ecology. Can you speak a little bit about what that means in reference to forests? Sure. So. Forests are always changing. They're very dynamic. They're very interesting. People love forests, right? We all do. And, but what a lot of folks don't realize is there's this evolution or succession that occurs, especially on the soils that we have in the eastern United States and, and in Michigan. What we always tell people is you, if you don't want to do anything with your forest, that's fine, but your forest will not be in stone. It won't stay the same. It's going to change, sometimes slowly, often quite dramatically. Uh, doing nothing or choosing to do nothing with your forest needs to be an active decision. You need to actively uh, decide that's what you want to do. And I know a lot of your audience is familiar with the Hiawatha Sportsman's Club, so I'll tell you a little story about, about the, to drive home this point. But uh, I think it was in 91 or 92, there was a lot of interest uh, from the club members and the board of directors to... Um, you know, have a preserve, an area where we would do no management and allow uh, Mother Nature, if you will, to, to uh, uh, progress. So there's an area between the museum and the golf course and the trap range. By the way, if anybody's not a member and you're driving through, uh, the golf course is a wonderful place to go uh, take a look at the Hiawatha Sportsman's Club. You. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, it's a beautiful area. You start out at a low elevation and you pop up the escarpment which was left by the glaciers it's just a beautiful forest so the board we had a lot of discussion and that we were going to set this area aside as a preserve and let mother nature you know do its thing and about a year and a half to two years later we had a massive uh, wind event i mean a ton of trees blew down it was a mess and uh, the first call i got the next day was we got to get some logging contractors in here and clean this mess up and i'm like no we don't we already decided the board said that there was going to be a preserve and mother nature was going to take care of it and they said well we didn't expect this and so we did we we treated the area we uh quote unquote cleaned up the mess but it drove, drove home the point that even though we had talked about wind events and fire events and that we were going to let this occur when it happened people were like that's not what we wanted so you're talking about trees fell. 
Lots and, of trees. And they were like a mess. Like if you took... Yep, yep. So some folks said it was a waste of resources because there was quite a bit of valuable timber that we could sell and we did sell. Other folks just thought it wasn't like the park like that they had in their mind. And Mother Nature is messy for sure. Um, that provides a lot of niches for a lot of small, small animals and insects. So that's all part of the ecology. But the point I wanted to make there was that, that these forests change. Another great example is, again, from the Hiawatha Club, there's a very pretty drag between two of the trout ponds, uh, Jocko Pond and Cold Creek. It goes through a lot of jack pine forests, very sandy, very hot in the summer. The policy when I first started was that there was going to be no management within roughly a quarter mile each side of the road. This was a big swath of area. Jack pine trees grow fast. They're a pioneer species. They come in after a fire. They live to be 50, 60 years old, maybe 70 at the most, and then they start dying, and they're very susceptible to disease and insects, and then very, very prone to fire. And we had a huge jack pine budworm outbreak. So instead of now, instead of driving through multiple age classes in a diversity of forests, we ended up with about a thousand acre clear cut, which is a very, very large area. Instead of multiple age groups so right now when folks drive through that area the trees are 20 feet tall so 90 or 2005 they're 15 years old beautiful forest again but for a while it wasn't so pretty <laughs> you talked about jack pine yeah what happened to all the birch and all the older trees sure sure so white you're talking about white birch there are two two okay. birch species in, in michigan yellow birch and white birch and they're very different trees are related but they live in different systems uh, white birch is very fire dependent so the history of of all of michigan was heavy logging in the 18 late 1800s early 1900s and then fire multiple wildfires really until the 1930s with the ccc and the effort to control these fires the yeah yeah so civilian conservation corps so thank you so that was 1930s part of the new deal uh, with President Roosevelt employing young people to put out fires, plant trees, build roads, develop parks and infrastructure. So anyways, based on that legacy, there was a very large amount of white birch, aspen, and jack pine that grew back. Those are pioneer species. They grow fast. They don't live real long. So if they were established in the 30s and 40s, 1930s and 40s, then they're 60, 70 years old, and um, especially white birch is really dying out. It's very difficult to regenerate without fire because it's a fire-dependent species, needs full sunlight. Same thing with aspen, although aspen, is, as you probably know, after you clear-cut it or it burns or it blows down or some major disturbance, it comes back very aggressively, and it's very good habitat for a lot of birds and uh, wildlife. Do you ever do a prescribed burn? Would that be something to try to bring birch back? You know, folks have talked about that. It's not prevalent in, in uh, northern Michigan. We don't have the skills and the equipment to do that. The Michigan DNR does do some prescribed burning, but with smoke management and risk and liability, it's, it's very limited in, in our part of the world. What part of your job do you like best? <laughs> I actually like those days I can get out of the office and, uh, and go in the woods. And uh, as you know, I have a, have a beautiful Labrador Retriever chocolate lab, and she comes with me. 
And, um, you know, those are the best days. The phone, uh, hopefully, is uh, if you're out of cell range, it's not going to ring. But we have nine foresters here in the office and uh, lots of clients. And client relations are, are critical to a small business, as I'm sure you know. And so there's always office work, employee issues. and But when you, you can spend a day in the woods, it's a good day. I agree. Totally agree. What is the most difficult or challenging and I think you sort of answered that, unless there's something more. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, one thing we all struggle with in rural Michigan is uh, keeping young employees, in our case, young foresters. I would say high turnover over the last 15 years with the young folks that are not from here and come and they really like the job, but their significant other or spouse or uh, whatever isn't so enamored with rural life <laughs> in the UP, right? So, Schools struggle with that, and the hospital struggles with that, and we do too. But a couple of our last hires have been local. One was an Ingadine High School graduate, and one was a Newbury High School graduate, and I think they're, uh, I think our workforce is stabilized. So, so we've got nine foresters Excellent. here. I wish I was forty years younger. <laughs> I would so apply for a job with you. What's one of the biggest changes that you've noticed from when you first started? To now, right, so right, far. right. Yeah, I mean, technology. Any any small business is going to say that, or any profession, I'm sure. But in forestry, the uh, <clears throat> the GPS technology and some of the equipment, you, you can do so much more work more efficiently and quicker with with the technology that's available today. So the mapping and GIS, geographic information systems, GPS technology, data management. All that um, is interesting. And then one of the really new developments is this idea that you can sell some of the other services that Forrest provides. So I know we talked a little bit that you were originally from New England. Well, watershed management for um, uh, the big cities on the eastern uh, coast has been well over 100, 150 years. So if we know forests, well-managed forests provide clean water, more clean water, more quantity, more quality, and we also know the same as for air quality. We know forests provide uh, clean air, and that's true in an urban environment, whether you're in Detroit or Chicago or New York, whatever, but also up in the our rural areas. So forests are critically important. And now we have the opportunity to sell some of that, those benefits that forests have provided. Now the, the effort is through these carbon exchanges and carbon markets where you can measure the air quality that your forest is providing and somebody's willing to pay you for it. Right. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that because I was up above Jocko Pond last week and we came upon trees that were marked with paint that said one, two, three, four, yeah, five. Yeah, white, very and bright white yes. paint, yeah. Can you speak about what is the carbon and how that all works? It's nothing new per se, although it's evolving. So Hiawatha Club and other owners took advantage of a market that was called the Chicago Climate Exchange, 2006, 7, 8, something like that. And that actually was pretty promising. It totally collapsed with the recession back then and it took 10 12 years to, to re-evolve but the idea is if you want to sell something you have to measure it and it has to be credible right otherwise who wants to buy it so if you're selling a cord of firewood or a cord of pulpwood or a thousand board feet of saw timber that you can measure it somebody wants to buy it selling carbon is no different 
uh, we can measure the uh, sequestration. The trees are growing; they're sucking carbon out of the air and uh, but put, how putting do you it into actually wood. measure the carbon. So these plots were put out. These are permanent plots, and there's multiple ways to do this. But but right now, the the way is that you uh, you establish a permanent plot. You number every tree that's in that plot. You continue to do your management. So if there is going to be a timber harvest, you would harvest that plot no different than the rest of the forest. And then uh, every five years you remeasure a portion of them. Every ten years you measure all remeasure all of them. So uh, if trees die, or well, obviously trees are going to grow until they die, you can measure that growth both in height and diameter. And so that's, there's nothing new there. Most people don't realize across the entire United States, in all the states and territories, there are permanent plots that the government remeasures going back to the 1940s, I believe. So nationally, we have an accounting of how trees grow and mortality factors, how they're managed. And in Michigan, we grow dramatically more wood than we ever harvest. I mean, that's not even close to the point that mortality is increasing. So as our trees are sort of phasing out on the age side and dying out, we could do a much better job of keeping a healthy forest. What makes a tree that looks healthy just tip over with the whole root ball? When the wind throw? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Why does that happen? A lot of wind. <laughs> so the roots, even though the tree is large and it looks like the roots are big from what you can see on the surface, they're really not so deep in to be able to... Well, some soils are more prone, right? So if the roots and some species are more, more prone to wind throw. So in oak, people kind of realize there's a, there's a significant top root. And as long as there's not a lot of moisture. So if you if a tree is growing, the roots are going down and it hits a permanent layer of, of water, like the water table, and it's always wet, those roots cannot go, they'll drown. They just can't go into that layer of soil where it's wet all the time. So they'll be shallow rooted. So shallow rooted soils tend to be prone to blow down. And as the trees get bigger, they get top heavy, right? Like anything else. So at some point, I guess it's physics. What actually tips them over is the wind. The wind is, and up here, the wind is strong. We can have wind events for sure. What is an accomplishment that you feel in your work that you're extremely proud of? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things over a 30-year career, but or actually longer, 30 years in Newberry. But, you know, forests are long. Foresters think in terms of 10-year increments, and, and really even longer, 50 years or multiple increments so in order to have an impact on a forest you know you can't it's not a one-year event it's it's decades and decades most of our clients the vast majority we've we've had for many decades so just the ability to watch those forests evolve watch the landowners objectives evolve over time and just helping helping those landowners meet their objectives we have a lot of forests, smaller landowners, maybe they own 40 or 80 or 160 acres that are moving into the second and third generation. Sometimes those those future generations don't have the same interest as the, the older generations that actually bought the land to start with, but sometimes they do. Just the ability to manage these resources over decades is very fulfilling. When you say manage, what do you really mean by that? Well, every, every owner is going to be different, but, but A, having a forest management plan so they know what they have 
now and how the forest is evolving. And then, um, yeah, prescriptions to do active management, whether it's timber harvesting or tree planting to maintain a healthy forest. One thing your audience may or may not know is most of the uh, land in Michigan is certified sustainable. There's three different certification systems in play, Forest Stewardship Council, Sustainable Forestry Initiative, and the American Forest Foundation Standards of Sustainability. They're all three pretty similar. They compete with each other. But in the reality, they're based on using good contractors, using good contracts, following what's called best management practices. Every state has best management practice guidelines. Is best management thinning out and then replanting? There's best management guidelines for a lot of different things. Most of them are related to water quality, so that you're taking care of water resources. Of course, Michigan's a water state, right, with all the Great Lakes. It's also based on the forest certification systems are based on making sure if you're doing harvesting that your forest is healthy. So in a thinning, of course, folks have the choice of taking the best trees and leaving the, the, the worst trees. And we do have a saying that if you leave a, you know, kind of a crappy, poor quality tree and it's small, it's going to be a big crappy tree, right, over time. So on our thinnings, we're always improving the productivity and the quality. But let's face it, we do a lot of clear cutting. And um, even though that's sort of sort of negative in some people's mind mostly because the the aesthetics or the perception of the aesthetics these forest types like we talked about jack pine and aspen need full sunlight they need clear cutting or fire they grow back very quickly and they're critical critical habitat to a wide variety of songbirds uh, rough grouse deer uh, that use those sites you know but it's it's giving some thought in the management planning process that, that you know what you're doing and why and you're going to keep your your forest healthy. The other thing is the risk factor. We've had some very large forest fires uh, north of here, north of Newberry. The biggest one, the Duck Lake fire, was around 29,000 acres. That could have easily, if the wind had been different, easily been the Hiawatha Club. So the probability of these these rather dramatic events that really change a forest very quickly is is quite high. So you'll see on the Hiawatha Club and other ownerships, spruce budworm has been a big problem. We're, we're doing a lot of harvesting with spruce. That's on about a 40-year cycle where the spruce trees grow, spruce and fir. And then um, they're success, susceptible to this uh, native native disease. Are those trees lumbered? Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. So the nice thing is we can do this work and generate revenue instead of do this work and cost money, right? So those funds then can the landowner can reinvest however they want. If the tree is diseased, I don't understand how you can still use the lumber. Oh sure, that doesn't happen. But there are quarantines that go into place. So there's native, there's native insects and diseases and non-native. The native ones are already throughout the system. You're not going to move them to a new place. They're already there, and they they usually run on cycles. Uh, so jack pine budworms a 15 year cycle give or take spruce budworms 40 years plus or minus no, but when the tree so you cut down the tree and it has budworm well the budworm just eats the, the needles that's a it's a oh, it's an insect okay so it's not in the, in the tree in the tree no oh, okay no okay. and most most our wood is it doesn't you know if, if it's something eating the wood then it's no good for lumber right then yeah, it's gonna have to okay. be pulp wood or firewood got it do you have a favorite 
tree or favorite forest that you like to go to? You know, besides I, <laughs> Hiawatha, of course. You're right, right. Um, not really. I like the entire gamut, you know, and some of it's seasonal. Uh, Cedar Swamp is um, is actually quite nice to walk through on snowshoes in the winter. You don't want to really go there in July when the bugs are going to pick you up and carry you away, right? Our forests in the eastern UP are very, very diverse based on our soils and past management. The glacial history is really interesting. That really determines what kind of forest is possible in the water table. So it's just the diversity of our forest is what makes them quite, quite interesting. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like us to know or a message about forests that people should take on when they hear this? Sure, go out and enjoy the forest, right? <laughs> go, go for a walk, either with a group or by yourself, or if you're lucky enough to have a good dog, and uh, um, just spend some time in a forest. Be a little observant. Some folks say, you know, dead trees are a waste of resources. But really not. You'll start to see bird nests in, in those dead trees and woodpeckers pounding on them. They, they provide a significant ecological niche that's, that's important. Go and look at a clear cut and maybe see what's going on after the initial shock of, of, uh, of the aesthetics. And, and I think you'll, you'll notice a lot of interesting and dynamic things going on in that area with the sunlight coming through. So go out and enjoy your forest. Well, thank you, Jerry. This has been wonderful, and I really appreciate it. And I feel like I want to do a part two and three and four <laughs> because there's so much more to learn and know. So thank you. Yep, thank you, Mona, and have a great day. Okay, you too. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to leave questions or comments about the podcast on the site you use to listen or my Facebook page. As always, I would appreciate your sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Till next time. This is Stories from A to Z with Mona P.